good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. And I should please turn in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Matthew and the sixth chapter, Matthew chapter six, as we continue in our studies on the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter six, and let's read together from the verse number five. And we're hearing the words of our Saviour when he says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, uh, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. We have read a portion of God's word where we have the Lord giving us instruction as to how we should pray. It is the Lord Jesus himself giving us this instruction. And therefore it is divine instruction, divine instruction in the matter of the content of our praying. I mentioned that the context in both Matthew and Luke centers upon the matter of private prayer. I'm not disallowing the use of this prayer in communal public praying. I'm simply uh, making the point that primarily the Lord is teaching us regarding the matter of our private praying. And yet the challenge in this prayer, as in all prayers, is to get away from the mere repetition of words and get to the act of praying from the heart. I think each and every one of us here would appreciate the challenge we face in our regular prayer lives. It is our continual desire that we would pray what we mean and mean what we pray. We, we, want, we want to know the reality of praying from our hearts, praying with faith and fervency as we pray and deliver our heart's desires to the Lord. One thing that I want to re-emphasize tonight. I want to re-emphasize that when we read this prayer, we are reading it in the context of Matthew chapter 6. That obvious statement, of course, should remind the student of the Word that this prayer is part of the Lord's teaching in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is not the Lord giving a pathway as to how you become a Christian. Rather, he is giving a description. 
A description of the character and the conduct of his disciples. Those who are the subjects of the kingdom of God. What does a kingdom citizen live like? How how does a kingdom citizen live like? Sorry. What is their character? What is their conduct? Within this sermon, the key verse is the verse number 20 of chapter 5. And in Matthew 5, in the verse number 20, the Lord says that their righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And if that is not the case, then they will in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That righteousness that is in view here is a righteousness that comes from the heart. For in the context, the the Lord then begins to open up the word of God. That the Pharisees, they had mistaken understanding of the word. That the Lord simply required external obedience. But actually when the Lord begins to teach the scriptures, he's, he's showing the people that actually true obedience, true righteousness is heart righteousness. Not simply that which is external, but that which begins in the heart and then, and only then, is shown in external acts of obedience. And so, he is dealing with the matter of true religion. True religion is heart religion. And when he comes to deal with the issue of the practice of external religion, the Lord again emphasizes the importance of genuine heart religion. In the Old Testament, the three great tenets of Jewish religious life were praying, tithing, and fasting. And the Lord does not abolish these practices, but but rather makes the point that these practices must be from the heart. We've read verse 5 of Matthew 6, where the Lord says that uh, you are not to pray as the hypocrites do. How do they pray? They pray to be seen of men. They pray to be prominent. They pray to have the praise of men. But for the citizens of Christ's kingdom, their their concern is to pray before the Father. To pray in secret, remembering that the Father sees in secret and rewards them openly. We said last time that this is not uh, uh, teaching the Lord is is not suggesting that public prayer is sinful per se. Rather, he's saying that public prayer on its own is not genuine religion. The difference between the hypocrite and the child of God is that the hypocrite is only concerned with public religion, but the child of God has a concern to meet with God in secret. And so this prayer that we have Before us, the prayer that we're studying, known as the Lord's Prayer, this prayer is a prayer to be offered by the true disciples of Christ. Those who are part of Christ's kingdom. This is a disciple prayer. It's a prayer that reflects the fact that we are secretly practicing our religion as well as doing that which is in public. What a man is on his knees before God is Really the sum of what a man is, uh, the private Christian, is the true Christian. You see, when we pray, our Father, we are reminding ourselves that we are addressing God as our Father 
who is our Father through salvation. You don't, don't go very far in this prayer before you're faced with a, a very striking challenge. Before we even get as far as petitions, you've got to take that very first word upon your lips. You've got to say, or, Father. This is a challenge of faith. Because to say, or, Father, is to pray in faith in the belief that God is your Father. And that you're a child of God. And so tonight I thought it would be beneficial as we uh, consider this prayer again. I thought it would be good to ask ourselves the question, what are we professing to believe when we pray or Father? What, what are we believing as we take these words upon our lips? And what we're believing, we are believing in the possession of sonship. We are claiming that we are the sons of God. And so before we can take this prayer upon our lips, we should ask ourselves the question, can we actually call God our Father? There has been some debate over the ages regarding the subject known as the universal fatherhood of God. It was a teaching that claimed that God is the father of all of humanity. And not simply the father of those who are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That teaching has used Malachi chapter 2 and verse 10 as one of its proof texts. And in Malachi 2 verse 10, if you turn back there one book in your Bible, you will see in the verse number 10, the text says, Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? And now you'll see the reasoning of this, uh, this group. Uh, the reasoning is as follows. God has created all of humanity. And therefore, by virtue of that creative role, God is the father of all humanity. And of course, there is, to some degree, an element of truth in that assertion. There is a sense in which all life is derived from God. And therefore, God is the father of all but that is not what is in view here in Matthew chapter 6, or indeed that is not what's in view in the New Testament scriptures regarding the subject of God as Father. What you will see and what we will see uh, this week and next week in the will of God is that when you study the New Testament scriptures regarding God as Father, especially in the context of prayer, it is clear that the sonship involved is the sonship of adoption. It is as those who are adopted into the family of God that they then become the sons of God. What that surely implies is that there's a change, a change in the family identity that at one point we are not the children of God and then we become the sons of God. Now before we go on any further to define and explain that we should Remind ourselves that we are sons of God in a manner distinct from Christ's sonship. He is the eternal son of God. Co-equal, co-eternal with the Father, the only begotten of the Father. The Son, his relationship to the Father is distinct from ours. And we, we see that from John chapter 20. 
And in John chapter 20, we find the Lord speaking to Mary after his resurrection. And he says to her in verse 17 of John 20, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. The Lord Jesus is making a distinction. He does not say that he is ascending to our father. But he says, to my father and to your father. Oh yes, there's a, there's a connection. God is our father in virtue of our relationship with Christ. And Christ in Hebrews 2 is said to not be ashamed to call us brethren. But yet he draws a distinction. He talks of God as his father in a manner distinct from God as being our father. He says, I ascend to my father and your father. Now that's significant in light of what we see earlier on in John's Gospel. And in John chapter 10 we have the the striking words of the Lord once more to the religious authorities. And he says to them in John 10 verse number 44, Ye are of your father the devil. What a sobering word that is. What a, a striking word of rebuke that is. And yet... They denied that. They were engaged in much religious practice. They were engaged in much religious external practice. And yet the Lord says to them, Yield off your father the devil. They claim in verse 40, or sorry, verse 41, we have one father, even God. But the Lord says, If God were your father, you would love me. And so there's a change here. Those who are the children of God are those who who love Christ. And perhaps there we should pause before we go any further and remind ourselves of a very important question we must ask. When you come to pray, when you come to seek God's face in private, and you begin to say, Our Father, when you take that word, Or, upon your lips, that's perhaps a good time to ask yourself the question, Do I love Christ? Does Christ have the first place in my affection? For if God is my Father, then I am one who loves Christ, according to John 8 and the verse 42. But if I have no love for Christ, then I, I have no right to call God my Father. It's always good to remind ourselves that the chief in all religion is a love for Christ. And if we do not love Christ, then we do not have God as our Father. There is, there is a very searching application when it comes to this opening words, or these opening words of this prayer, Our Father, it's a challenge to our souls. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to emphasize our actions when it comes to becoming a, a son of God. I don't want our, our minds to be focused really upon our actions because we are the sons of God because of God's action toward us. Let me uh, simply detail in in a very abbreviated fashion, uh, an overview, uh, something of the truth regarding the sonship of the children of God. We know from uh, 1 John chapter 3 and the verse number 1, you could turn there quickly, 1 John 3 verse 1, we know that those who are the sons of God are loved of God. 1 John 3 verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. 
Note that we are not loved because we are sons. Rather, we become sons because we're loved of God. What an encouragement that is. When you pray that prayer, or Father, you're reminding yourself again that I am one who is loved of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. But not only are we beloved, beloved of God, we're also born of God. John chapter 1 this time reminds us that those who are the sons of God are those who have been born of God. John 1 verse 11 says, Christ came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born. And then comes this uh, three-part negative, born not of blood. This rebirth is, is not a physical matter. It's not those who are born because of their family heritage. They're not born of the will of the flesh. They don't choose themselves to be born of God. Uh, They're not born of the will of man. In other words, the husbandman, the father, cannot choose for them that they would be born of God. But, verse 13, they're born of God. According to John chapter 3, this rebirth is a rebirth by the Spirit of God. But note that those who have the authority, the right to be the sons of God, verse 12, those who have the power, that word means right or authority, Those who have the power to become the sons of God are those who are born of God. It is through the rebirth that we become the sons of God. And by virtue of the rebirth, we are therefore those who believe in Christ. The sons are those who believe on the Lord. For it says, but as many as received him, to them give you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Those who are the children of God are those who have faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Having run from their sins, they've, they've, they've come to hold on to Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Galatians chapter 3 puts it in an even more striking fashion. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Those who do not believe in Christ have no right to take these words or father upon their lips. Only those who have faith in Christ are the children of God in this profound sense. We will all be very aware of many in the religious world who are religious externally but have not personal faith in Christ and yet who take the prayer our Father upon their lips. You think of those who enter into the, uh, the Roman Catholic confessional. Their faith may be in their minds towards Christ, but it's Christ plus works, Christ plus the church, Christ plus sacraments. And yet as they leave the confessional, they may leave with the instruction that for their sins to be forgiven, they are to pray the Our Father. It's a very serious thing to take Our Father upon our lips if we're not actually the children of God, if we haven't personally come to believe in Christ alone as our Saviour. And of course, it's not just true for those uh, within the Roman Catholic community. It's very much true for those uh, within the liberal Protestant community. Where there may be parts and places where the Lord's Prayer is recited by those who live like their father, the devil, all week. And yet when they come to pray, they'll say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
And what we're seeing here is that those who can say our Father are those who are loved of God, those who are born of God, those who believe in the Lord. Um, and the fourth place, they are those who are bought of God. Isaiah 63 draws the connection between Redemption, being born of God and the fatherhood of God. Isaiah 63 verse 16 says, O Lord, art our father or redeemer. And that's what we see actually taught here in Galatians chapter 4. We've just read Galatians 3, 26, For you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to explain what it is to be a child of God. And he, he says in verse number 4 of chapter 4, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. And that redemption was necessary that they then, that we might receive the adoption of sons. It's necessary for redemption to take place before adoption. Sins forgiven before the people are then brought into the family of God. So we have in Galatians chapter 3 the identity of those who are under the law. We've read in chapter 4 that Christ came to redeem them that were under the law. Well, who is under the law? Well, Galatians 3 verse 10 tells us, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That's all of us. Not one of us have perfectly kept the law of God. But praise God, verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us. From the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Christ on the cross, as he dies for sinners, he secures redemption. So that individuals who come to trust in Christ can be redeemed and then in turn be brought into the family of God. What a privilege. Oh, what a solemn thing it is to take these words, our Father, upon our lips. What exactly are you believing when you take the words, our Father, upon your lips, you are believing that you're loved of God. You're believing that you're born of God. You're believing that you've believed in Christ Jesus. And you're believing that you've been bought by the precious blood of Christ. That's a very serious and solemn thing. Is that true of you here tonight? And if it is true of you, then I remind you that all those who are born of God and saved by Christ's blood, all those are the sons of God. And therefore, all have the right to take the words, Our Father, upon their lips. We've thought of this negatively as those who may claim that right and that right is not ours or not theirs. But here we see well, those who are born of God, those who do believe in Christ, they have the right to take those words, our Father, upon their lips. All who are saved are the sons of God. There is no class structure in the Christian church. We are all equal sons and we all have the right to approach God. You see, when we remember and when we rejoice that we are the sons of God, we're reminding ourselves of the privilege that we have the right of access to God in prayer. God who loves us. As it says in Psalm 110, As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that feared him. With God as our father, 
And Christ is our elder brother. That we have access to the throne of God in prayer. And access to a heavenly father. And one writer has put it this way. The father in heaven is more pleased to see his adopted children come through the door of prayer into his throne room than we are pleased to see our children come through the door into our living room. Oh, it ought to please a a loving father when the children come into the living room and spend time and company with their father. That ought to please a, a godly father. And yet that pleasure is infinitely less than the pleasure that the God of heaven has when his adopted children come through the door of prayer into his throne room. It is a wonderful privilege and a blessing to approach the God of heaven and to approach the God of heaven with the term or father. And so, as we close tonight, can I afresh challenge you all here? Can you pray the opening words of this prayer? Even before we get the petitions, can you pray these opening words? Can you say in truth, God is my Father, and therefore I pray with faith and say, Our Father. You see, let me remind you of the solemnity of this occasion. That when you come to pray, Our Father, You are claiming that God is your father. But if you cannot pray that prayer, then the only alternative is this. That in the words of John chapter 8, the devil is your father. And to live and die with the devil as your father is to live and die in utter folly. For as you live under the authority and the rule of the devil, and you die under that authority, you have nothing but the warning that you will spend eternity in the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. And so this season of prayer is a time when I remind you all that now is the day of salvation. Become a son of God today by faith in Christ Jesus. Make Christ your own this day. And if you do so, I tell you with all, with all the confidence of the Word of God, if you make Christ your Savior this day, you have the assurance that you've accessed before the Heavenly Father. And you can say, Our Father, and bring your petitions to Him day by day. May God bless His Word to your hearts. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.